Hello, peace lovers, peacemakers. I'm Sarah Jamshidi. You are listening to Peace Mindedly. For this episode, I'm talking with Barjis Chohan. Barjis is an award-winning British designer and creator of high-end women's wear fashion within the modest fashion industry. Barjis' label has expanded its reach to cover sustainable lifestyle. Burgess graduated from London College of Fashion and worked with Vivian Westwood and a French house in Monte Carlo before starting her business in 2000. She is a bold and fearless designer who is not afraid of going against the norms in the fashion industry. She usually gets invited to talk about her label, her modest fashion collections, her support of startups, and motherhood. For this episode, we learn from Burgess about her design, her leadership stand, and how the fashion industry is adjusting itself after COVID-19. So here I'm welcoming Burgess. Hello, Burgess. Hi, how are you, Sarah? Excellent. I'm doing absolutely fine. It's it's such a pleasure to have you over here in Peace Mindedly. Thank you so much for taking your time. In London, is what time right now in London? Uh, at the moment, it's just past 10.30 in the evening. So it's quite late. Yes, yes, it's quite late. What are the imminent adjustments uh, the fashion industry needs to make now after COVID-19 and lockdown? I think there was a lot of changes to make initially, even before this pandemic. So, you know, we knew as fashion designers that what we are doing is not really right. And there has to be kind of drastic measures to take, um, especially about sustainability, as you can see what's happening in India and Bangladesh at the moment. And all these garment workers, they're out of work and all the factories are closed and they're walking for miles um, just to go back to their villages because they don't have anywhere to go during the lockdown. So I know the the negative impact that fashion industry were doing to the world, climate change and also ethical working conditions. So I think this pandemic has kind of brought all the issues like together and it's become more of a catalyst to really make changes to how we are operating our businesses. So even for myself, even though I was very much passionate and I am about sustainability it's just now it's like I have to do it I don't have any choice but to change a lot of my business model to to maintain the business and to sustain it. Have you made any changes so far or can you give us some examples? Yes I was doing I started off with leather belts um, but now I'm introducing vegan leather belts so I am in talks with um, my production house in Portugal where they're produced and we're developing prototypes and samples for vegan leather belts. I've also introduced sustainable notebooks which are made from the offcuts of my used fabric so whatever leftover fabrics we have we make beautiful notebooks and they're colorful they 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 are absolutely not and they're doing very well to be honest so that all those fabrics that are left over they don't just go to the landfills and you know we can really make use of them Burgess, why this is important in your opinion why do we need to think about sustainability sustainable lifestyle and do any of these adjustments I think the way we are living our lifestyle, we become very greedy and we, we, we are only think about me, 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 but we don't realize the impact it's having to the world on people's lives. And n- now more than ever, we've got time to reflect on what we're doing. And I'm sure if everyone takes part, 
they can do something about it because we can't last like this. I mean, we don't have the natural resources to continue and to sustain this world. So um, fashion industry is like the second most pollutant industry in the world. So if we don't do anything about it, then I don't think we will have a fashion industry because people are not going to buy our products because we know that we are damaging the world. Yes, we know that we are damaging the world. But I wonder, I just don't want to put you on spot, but I'm just curious, just curious myself, because I cover fashion, I go to different uh, modest fashion shows, and mm -hmm. I know that how we are using garments and clothes. But I wonder how... I mean, in, in, at least in your practice, how did we get into this space where we are consuming so much clothes, you think? I think um, because they're so cheap, <laughs> we, can, we can go to, the, you know, the high street and buy something for a, a five pounds, six pounds, even less. And so people now, because of this Instagram and social media, they don't want to wear the same clothes again. They don't want to be photographed, especially the millennials and even the younger generation. They don't want to see their friends or their followers see them in the same outfit. So they just think, okay, let me buy something really cheap and then just get rid of it in a couple of month's time. So I think overconsumption is the big problem. And this past 10 to 15 years, we are consuming more because we are living this kind of show off lifestyle where we want to project that we are happening and we are successful and we can afford so many different outfits. And I know a lot of people who buy and then they return too. So I think it's our greed and it's our lifestyle choices that we've made and put on ourselves about seeking validation from str strangers and wanting to be accepted by people all the time that we are consuming more. Yes, and then probably because of this um, attitude and mindset that we are forced by nature and by COVID-19 and by whatever is going on around us to, to just rethink about on our environment. What COVID-19 has had an influence or effect in your life, if there has been any? I've always been a self-reflective person. So for me, you know, doing it hasn't really changed my business as such because I was I was going in that direction anyway. But I think it has given me an opportunity to kind of develop on the skills that maybe I was lacking. So I've done a lot of professional development courses, free courses online that anyone can do, a lot of reading, a lot of studying about different materials that I can use in my garments, in my production that are sustainable and eco-friendly. So it's just given me an opportunity with so much time to develop my skills further so that when we are out of this lockdown and we go back to some kind of normality, I can utilize, uh, I can use all these skills to, to benefit the business. In the fashion industry, we usually address the industry production that we use as supply chain. I know that you are very mindful about the supply chain that you use for your own collection. But mm -hmm. I have always had this uh, question that, okay, so what is supply chain? And when we are talking about the chain, what exactly uh, we talk about? So can you please give me an example about the supply chain and how this is really influencing the uh, sustainable lifestyle and sustainable fashion industry? 
Okay, so for me, um, I try to produce most of the work in the UK so that I have control over the supply chain. So I know exactly where the resources are coming from, the materials are coming from. I can speak directly and visit the factories. And I think that's really important. And then some of my work uh, is produced in Italy, in Portugal. The notebooks are produced in India. So I've got contacts with someone who has a base here and he's the founder. So I can actually meet him and talk to him and discuss, okay, who's making the notebooks, where they produce, are there any children involved? Because that's very important to me. Um, are the workers treated well? All these things, I mean, you know, have a knock-on effect. It has a domino effect. And, you know, it's it's all about the where they source their materials to um, how they treat their workers to the final product. Why it is important to you? For me, it's like I want to sleep well at night. I've got three children. I've got daughters. And I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, it, I'm doing it ethically. Because for me, money has never been the driving factor. And I always, always say that because I think if it was money, then I probably would have gone into something like making cheaper production, um, cheaper products um, and doing really a lot of quantity. But for me, quality is more important and sleeping well at night. You know, I, I have a conscience and I listen to that inner voice inside me. Am I doing it right? Am I making my money at the back of like, you know, someone who is struggling and they can't even feed their children in India or where, wherever it is? So all these things um, for me as a, a as a human being and as a Muslim is very, very important. So if we talk about uh, design, I want to know where you get your inspiration and walk me through one of your favorite design. That's so where it came from, how you started the design and what was the result? Perhaps you can talk about one of your favorite collections. I think so far the, the most popular collection that I've done was a 2015 collection where I just started painting because my, my work starts from painting. So I like doing a lot of sketching using watercolor. And there's this beautiful, beautiful painting that uh, we produce in the studio. And I thought that would look great as a top or as a tunic or, or pants and jacket. And that's what we did. And I think it's still very popular because at the moment it's in a museum in New York and it's circulated from San Francisco Museum to Frankfurt and now it's in New York. And unfortunately at the moment the museums are shut so no one can view it. But uh, I'm really proud of those pieces and especially that collection because I think I put a lot of thought and effort into it. And every collection has to have a narrative. So there's always a story behind it. For my buyers and my consumers, that narrative is very important. They want to have a link. They have. They want to have some kind of connection with the collection. So I don't have a lot of consumers because, uh, you know, my work is quite high end. But I prefer it that way. Um, I don't really want to go down the high street route. I never have been... You know, I, I've never really liked it, to be honest, because I don't uh, I just feel that greed will succumb to me and it will be more about numbers. And I don't want that. For this particular question, what was the story behind the collection? What was the theme? What was the color? For me, it was the beautiful spices of Pakistan. So when I when I was growing up, my parents, they used to only take us to Karachi. So I had to kind of go back into my childhood and remember all the spices and and 
and aroma around it and going to this markets and the sound. So all these things were kind of incorporated into the design. So it's like reminiscing about my childhood on holiday vacations to Karachi. And that was the narrative. And then what was the color? Uh, there, there was a lot of um, terracotta colors, but there were also a lot of blues because I can remember the sky was um, beautiful on that day. The sun was shining. So and I went to the beach so that there was a little bit of blues and oranges all mixed together. So, yeah. And speaking of spices and Karachi, I know that you do manage an initiative. I think it's called the Barges Initiative. Yeah. And there you are having this chili competition. Tell me about the, yeah. the competition. Yeah, that, that was really fun. I just, when I launched the initiative, I wanted to show something positive. positive so the 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 competition was that you had to film yourself eating a chili live and a lot of people actually did it and I, I was really excited but also humbled that you know people are making the effort to do this and it really did raise awareness about the initiative it's a not-for-profit organization which I set up a few years ago and um, whenever I have time I go into um, schools and I do workshops um, with young children especially marginalized children who don't get the opportunity to actually access the arts so I do creative workshops design workshops with them and I do talks with them and I just want to inspire the youth because I think we have to start from the grassroots level and build up from there and recently which is really exciting um, I was I was in a restaurant and this young guy he must be 17 years old he came up to me while we were eating with my friend and he said oh you're barges and I said Yeah. And I said, how do you know? He said, I remember a few years ago when I was at primary school, you did a workshop and I was in the workshop and in the audience. And I was really inspired by your work. And, you know, I still think about it because what you were saying was really good about really following your passions and doing something that you really want to do. So that really kind of touched me that, you know, this young boy, he's 17. He's a cool, you know, guy. And he, he's, he was waitressing to help his support his family during the summer vacation. And he just came up and I just thought, that's what I want to see. You know, if I can make a difference into just one person's life, I think that's, that's enough. What is modest fashion? And tell us um, how come you became interested in creating modest fashion collections? Okay, when I started out, um, I was making kind of the normal Western clothes, sleeveless, quite, you know, clothes for the Western women. And then I kind of, my brother, he came to me and he said, look, you're making good money. And, you know, in a weekend, you're making so much money just producing these designs for this company based in Monte Carlo. But is, is this really what you want to do? Is this how you want women to dress? And I kind of, at that point in time, I think I was young and I didn't really understand it, but he kind of put that seed in, a, you know, a thought in my head and said, do I really want to make money like that? So I stopped it because I, my conscience was playing up. Um, it's only when I was traveling that I started saying that, oh, I can't really find the clothes that I want to wear. So I started going back into fashion and designing the clothes that I wanted to wear. And then I thought, maybe there are a lot of women out there who feeling the same way that they can't find the clothes they want to wear and that's how i started the brand i think modesty for me it's not about wearing just the headscarf and i think that's really important it's about how you carry yourself it's how you speak it's it's your lifestyle choices and i think that's what modesty is and i think 
the hijab is right at the end, to be honest. It's, it's all about within what you want to say. And it's very liberate. This is not oppression for me. This is about liberation. It's about pleasing Allah and also um, having, you know, valuing yourself. But, you know, we do have this, uh, we started having a hype and lots of interest about the modest fashion uh, industry. I mean, it became industry. And now we are in this kind of phase of, okay, so we need to rethink about the clothes we are using and the fashion industry is the second most polluted uh, industry in the, on the planet and so forth. So I want to see whether or not, in your opinion, the modest fashion market and industry is going to survive or not. I think it's going to be a struggle. For me, I do high-end, so I don't think my brand will be affected as such. But I can see a lot of, because majority of the modest fashion designers that we have in the market, A, they're not trained as designers. It's something that, you know, they thought is a trend and they just want to set up a business because someone else is doing it. Um, Secondly, they're they're producing more kind of lower-end products. So they're competing with the high street and it's impossible to compete with the high street. Um, You know, they're trying to make the products more value for money, which are understandable. Not everyone can afford my clothes and I really get that and I appreciate that. But at the same time, we're competing with people like Primark and, you know, Zara's who are already doing modest fashion. So I think the modest fashion industry started uh, with uh, some really good, exciting press releases and everyone wanted to know uh, more about it. The press were curious about it, but it's kind of declined. Another thing is that some influencers have chosen to take the hijab off, which I don't have a problem with. It's their choice. But I think there were a lot of followers who were um, looking up to them. And I think they have done that too, especially very young. So I think the demand for it has been reduced too, because a, a lot of the the young girls who post 9-11 started wearing the hijab. Some of them have taken it off too. So I think fashion designers are are kind of struggling at the moment. Where do we where do they kind of position themselves in the market? And they they're forced to make you know different strategies, different changes to their to their business model. You are listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show where I feature peaceful bridge makers. You can find this episode and episodes alike on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and anywhere that you get your podcast pleasures. Please, when you go and when you find Peace Mindedly on uh, any of those podcasts, please, I do ask you to subscribe. It's very important because it's going to show me and my team of how we are doing and what is the space for um, improvement. For next week, I have uh, Coleman Barks and Omid Safi, two giants in the Sufi teachings. For this hour, I am talking with Bardis Chohan, an award-winning London-based fashion designer and entrepreneur. Bardis is a business leader whose outlook goes beyond horizons. Recently, she has taken steps to create products that are sustainable and do not pollute our planet. She works with the supply chain that shares the same value. So here I do have uh, Barges with us. Barges, uh, I want to know, you said that your design is high end. Tell me what do you mean by high end? Well, uh, for me, quality is more important than quantity. So I produce less. 
And I don't really go through the seasons like a normal mainstream brand does. I design when I want to, and I just drop it into the market. High-end means that quality, um, how it's produced, the materials used are very superior. So we, we go to Premier Vision, we go to the trade shows, and we select the best suppliers. And the products are high quality. So the materials like using the most um, luxurious fabrics is very important from buttons to the trimmings that we use. So the price point is more higher than obviously the contemporary market and also the high street market. As a consumer and people who are using clothes and garments, especially the high-end products, so what do you think that we do not know as consumers and users of those of the products like yourself? I think the effort that's put into it takes a lot of planning, a lot of effort, a lot of hard work, um, uh, sleepless nights to produce what we do because it's not something you just produce a design and just put it in the market. You have to do um, a lot of lengthy dis- discussions with the factories, go back to forth, back and forth and develop it, redevelop it until it's the product that you want to produce. I think also my products are for um, longevity, so it's not about just wearing it and then just disposing it is something that you it, it will have sentimental value so you would want to pass it on to your children or to your friends or to your relatives and recycle it more than anything because I think that's what's beautiful about high quality work is that it becomes the value of it increases over time just like antique art or anything like that so even my rug I, I've got a customer who actually contacted me and said he wants to put the rug um, in his will and pass it on to his children because even after around 18 years, nothing has happened to the rug. So it's still maintained beautifully and he really feels that he wants to pass it on. So he was asking whether I've got some kind of plate or some something that I could write down and, and say that it's produced by me. You decided not to, at least not as much, to participate in the fashion shows and you are showing your clothes on mannequin. So Mm -hmm. where the decision came from? Why? After my show uh, in Malaysia, I think that was 2017, I kind of consciously made a decision of not doing shows because I feel that we're not sending the right message to the younger audience who are just overwhelmed with skinny models um, who are tall. And we're kind of really kind of saying this is what beauty is when that's not the fact. And I've got children and I just feel that it's not right what I'm doing because I'm sure that, you know, the common person, the the normal girl doesn't look like what we see on screen or um, at fashion shows. And I feel it's pointless. And now all of a sudden, a lot of designer brands are actually waking up to this. Like, you know, on Business of Fashion, there was a discussion about this, that do we really need to fly to Milan and Paris to attend these fashion shows and just sit there and then, you know, they they are then into the market after eight months or something. Um, so I feel that this wholesale market and also representing women as just skinny and tall is just not right, especially, you know, for the younger generation. So I consciously made a decision of stopping it. And in a way, it's nice doing it on mannequins, because I feel it gives it that kind of more higher end aesthetic where people can feel it touch it and they can look and you you don't know about models um how they will carry it uh, carry it i mean how they will carry your brand because obviously there's a personality and well while mannequins it's quite nice people can just pop in have a look at the collection and then leave i think this is a very brave decision to make 
to go against the mainstream or go against what's been acceptable in the fashion industry and try to do something else and something different. Have you ever felt a punch over the new the decision that you've made? Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, I, I just feel that it was always at the back of my mind. I just thought that, you know, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it in my own terms. I, I don't really like following. I hate following, to be honest. I, I just feel that what doesn't feel right, and if I can't sleep at night, then I need to stop it. So um, using the right materials and um, doing things, I'm not harming um, animals, I'm not harming the planet, I'm not harming you know, workers who are working on my collections, that's very, very important. Because I feel that if one door closes, then another door opens. And that's what I feel. And I think that's to do with not just my personality, but it's deep rooted in my faith. Um, my sustenance, sustenance was written um, way before I was born. So I'm not really fussed. That's why a lot of people are kind of worried that what is it going to this lockdown, this pandemic, how is if this business stops, it's fine. I will do something else. Um, that's how I see it because I feel that um, I'm passionate about it. But if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. So so I, I will find a way. And if it, if it means I have to start from scratch again, I'll just do it. Where can we find your work? At the moment, you can only find it on my website. So it's www.bargislondon.com. Uh, if there's made-to-order work, then just send an inquiry and we'll be in touch. So here's, I'm going to ask you, what questions you wish I would have asked or what questions you want me to ask and I have not asked you yet? I think there, there must be some people who listen to this who at the moment are struggling with their lives and um, how do you kind of overcome those struggles and also in a lot of new startups or people who have already started their businesses who need some kind of sense of direction what I would say to them, I think that's a question which is quite important. Oh, what and do you what tell kind of them? Words of wisdom I can, I can share. Yes, with yes, them. tell me. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I think I've always believed that starts small. I know that a lot of people kind of project themselves are bigger than what they really are. But I think put that in your head, but start really from. I started with £3,000 of my money, and that was a long time ago. I didn't borrow from my husband or my parents. I wanted to do something for myself so that people don't really kind of say that, oh, my God, you've kind of wasted my money. So I think start small. There's no race. Um, you know, there's no competition. You can compete with yourself, but you don't have to compete with the rest of your uh, the world. What you need to do, have is the clear direction of what you want to do. What is your passion? What is your calling? And sometimes you don't really find that when you're young. You have to keep on searching, keep on trying different things, experimenting and believe in yourself. And hopefully one day you will have that eureka moment. You'll say, you know, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. And when you do start it and you decide that, no, that's not really what I want to do, you can stop it and start again. There, there are no kind of rules or, that, or time limitations on what you want to do. I know even at this time, if my business doesn't work out in five, six months time, I'll just drop it and I'll do something else. So the, the, I think for people who want to, who've already set up their business, I would say definitely think big, but start small and don't take out loans. If you can avoid all this um, river interest, try to just focus on one project and get that right and build on that. I'm going to ask about motherhood, but let me ask this question first. We keep hearing people say, 
have confidence over yourself, your your qualities, your have ambition and and believe in yourself. I mean, Burgess, how? Tell me how we should and we can just have this this kind of belief and confidence to ourselves, especially for younger younger people. I think look look at yourself in the mirror and say that you're unique. We are. Every single person is so different. There is no we're not clones. So you know, there are a lot of young people who just follow the crowd, follow these influ- influencers, YouTubers, and do exactly what they're doing. So if they've got a Chanel handbag, they will they will kind of kill to get one they will find a way of getting it but is that really important you know look at yourself in the mirror and say what is important you are important and um you know you have to value yourself you have to love yourself that's the first step secondly is that you're here in this world for 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 a reason so it's important to to understand what is that reason what is my purpose find a purpose in life and go to it we are just about two days away from Mother's Day, and you and I know that how difficult it is to manage a household. Right now, we are in Ramadan, manage the cooking and baking, <laughs> and and yeah. and children. So, how do you do it? Um, well, to be honest, I'm not a perfect mother. I'm not a perfect human being. So I make mistakes every single day. I think I learn more from my children. I know that as they are growing up, actually, they are the best critic. So, you know, I ask them for questions, you know, am I doing this right? Can How do I reach out to your kind of audience if I want to, if I want to send this message? And they say, uh, mom, you're so dated. You're, you know, you, you don't know what you're saying, what you're doing. We're, I'm sorry, you know, we, we don't understand you at all. So they give me tips on how to actually present myself to a younger audience. So I'm learning every single day. Every day I'm making mistakes. I mean, I'm human. And when I started my business, um, even till now, I, I do a lot of working from home so that I can raise my kids. I can remember when my uh, daughter was a toddler, I used to just switch on the TV when I ha- wanted to do 20 minutes. She used to watch her tweenies and Teletubbies. And then I used to do my work and then I used to feed her. I used to um, take her on my trips to Dubai or wherever. I, and I used to drag my husband and my mother with me and breastfeed. So it's, it's manic, it's crazy, but it's, it's, it's rewarding. And there are no, you can't really compare motherhood with someone else because everyone is so different and everyone does what they want to do. And I'm sure it's perfectly fine for them. For me, it was important to actually set a good example and do something for myself because motherhood is very important for me but also having my own identity having my own presence because I feel that I was not just born to be a mother I was born to do something else and to make a positive impact on other people's lives too so for me trying to strike that balance it is hard work because believe me it's not easy but I'm fortunate enough that I can work from home most of the time. Yes, I do my travels, but I ensure that my husband takes time off from work so that he can look after the kids or my mum can look after them. And they're teenagers now, so they're quite self-sufficient. They don't even want their mum at the moment because they feel that she's too embarrassing. You know, they, 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 they just talk to their friends. So I've kind of lost them a little bit at the moment. And I feel, my God, you know, if my business goes bust in six months or one year, God forbid, I hope it doesn't. But if it does, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I've already lost my children. (laughs) So yeah, I definitely have to write that book then. Yeah. Yes, definitely. But I'm sure that your children has learned a lot from you. What are the lessons that they have learned from you? 
hearts, they're opinionated and they're leaders in their own right, to be honest. They're, they're non-conformists too. So for them, it's like if they have an opinion, we've got a... I've always raised them to be my friends, so um, I always speak to them in a friendly term, not just a mother hat that I have to put on when I'm kind of when they do something naughty, then I have to put them straight. Then I put the mother hat on. But most of the time, there's a lot of open dialogue conversation between my husband and myself and my children. So we talk about literally everything. And I think that's really important. They they don't feel afraid in asking questions or putting me straight. Uh, it's not like, you know, a dictatorship or something like that, then the mother is always right. I actually have to own up sometimes and say, you know something, and apologize and say, I haven't done it right. You know, I'm really sorry. I should have done it. I should have tackled this issue in a different way. So as I said, I'm learning every day and they're learning from me. And I'm sure they, at the moment, it's like they, they just feel that, um, oh, mommy, you know, we're not interested in your business. But I think deep down, they, 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 they are, but they don't really like admitting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I learned from you to sit down with my daughter and to just ask her <laughs> what I'm doing wrong and just make it better. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because we're, we're human. I think, you know, ego uh, plays an important role in our lives, but we have to put it to the side. We have to understand that we were not taught how to be parents. And, you know, we are going to make those mistakes and it's okay to make those mistakes and not feel bad about it. And that's really, really important. There is no perfect parent, no perfect human being out there. We're learning every day. Yes, and I learned quite a lot from you. Thank you so much, Bargis. At the end of uh, the program, I usually ask my guests to close the program uh, for us with something meaningful about peace, about kindness, compassion. So I wanted to see if uh, there is something you would like to share with us. I think for me, if you can sleep at night, knowing what you do is the right thing, then you will lead a peaceful life because I think that is what is success. If you can sleep at night, you're successful. And in that regard, you are successful, aren't you? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. So please just stay with me for a moment. You're listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show where I feature peaceful bridge makers. If you go to Golden, you'll find the wealth of information about today's program. Please do check out the website and see what Barges is all up for and learn about Barges. Learn about Barges uh, from her site, bargeslondon.com. Thank you so much, Barges, for being here. My guest for Peace Mindedly. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you. Ab you take care. Bless you. Absolutely. Khoda Hafiz.